Well, amen. We've been able to uh, sing about the wellspring of our soul, rejoicing in our Redeemer in song. Let's rejoice in our Redeemer in his word this morning. I would invite you to Genesis, Genesis chapter 21, as we continue in our series that we started uh, a while ago as we move through this book one verse at a time. Genesis chapter 21 is our text this morning. You know, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 30, Lord, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You've removed my sackcloth and you have given me clothing of joy. You know, one of my favorite things with my kids is to uh, have a dance party at our house. Uh, we crank out the latest Kids Bop CD and we dance around the living room and we have a lot of fun together. But nobody feels like doing that when someone's sad. Because one must give way to the other. That is, joy must give way to sadness, or sadness must give way to joy in order to have true dancing and joy in life. But they're both needed in the Christian life. In both of them, that is, sadness and joy are brought to us by God. And as we're going to see in this text this morning, after years of waiting, years of tears, years of mourning, years of scheming together, Abraham and Sarah's sorrow is going to turn to joyful dancing. Because God does what he says he will do, they were about to have one of the most epic birth announcements of all time. So I would invite you to join with me as I read aloud Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken. Abraham called the son of his, that was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old. That's crazy, right? When his son Isaac was born to him and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Pray with me, pray for me, and pray for your own hearts as we talk to our God right now. Oh God, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. You tell us that your word is a fire. God, would your, the fire of your word purify us, cleanse us of dross, sins that don't look like you, help us to be convicted, to be more like you and confess and repent. You tell us that your word is a hammer that's able to crush rocks in two. So God, I pray that you would break our hearts of stone and make them moldable for you. Your word is also a sword God, would you pierce us through with your word? Would you, as a result, to heal us again like a surgeon's scalpel heals and makes us whole again? Would your word do its power in that way? And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word to make us wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ in faith. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. 
Amen. I do not know what your week has been like. I don't know what your last month has been like or your last year or even how your morning has been. But if you are here this morning, each and every one of us needs to hear, listen to, and claim this promise today. God does what he says he will do. God does what he says he will do. And in our text this morning, I want to show you how God demonstrates this line to be true in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that it's been 25 years since the original promise that Sarah would give birth to a son. How many of you are under the age of 25 in this room? Are you all sleeping? 25 years old? Okay. Yeah, you're the, longer than your entire life, God made a promise way back when, and it still hasn't come about. 25 years of sadness, 25 years of perhaps questioning their worth and value, 25 years of snickering behind Sarah's back as she's unable to have children, 25 years of waiting. And within that time, Abraham and Sarah taking matters into their own hands, thinking they need to help God to bring about his promise. And finally, as we just read in this text, they have a son of their own. God does what he says he will do in his timing. God does what he says he will do in his timing timing. God had made them promises, but it wasn't on their timetable, but his perfect one. Now, we all would say, probably most of us in this room, that we want to believe and trust God's promises. But don't we want them to come about right when he makes them? That's what we all desire and what we want, but is that normally the case? No. And there is a reason for that. And so that's why they waited so long. God has a purpose over this 25 years so that when he comes, and this text says, and visits Sarah, that doesn't mean that he came and paid a personal visit to her. That means that he enabled her womb to be open to now conceive. But this was not the first visit that he had ever made to them. In fact, God shows up in Genesis chapter 18, and he says, this time next year, you will have a son. He comes, visits Abraham, visits Sarah, and and says, this time next year, because there's nothing too hard for God, you will have a son. And now here we are, Isaac is born. It can be hard to trust God's promises though, can't it? the longer that we wait. God in this text is trying to show us that he is worth the wait because he is worthy as an object of our faith because he always comes through, he's worth waiting on. And our waiting is for a purpose and a reason because he's a worthy object of our faith. So I took my daughter on Friday night to Paddington 2 Man, that's a great movie. I would commend it to every family out there. Go see Paddington, Paddington 2. It's awesome. 
And she, though, when I told her that we were going to go see Paddington, because I had taken her older sister to Star Wars a couple weeks before, she had been reminding me every day and several times a day about Paddington 2. And even on Friday, when she came home from school, she walks in the front door, getting off the bus, doesn't say hello or anything, and says, Dad, are we going to Paddington tonight? And I said, yes, we are. Now, why does she keep reminding me about it? One, because she was really jacked. She was really excited to be able to go. But two, she knows that even though dad said he was going to take her to Paddington, that sometimes dad doesn't always come through on his promises because dad is flawed. Dad is a sinner. Sometimes things come up and she kept reminding daddy that she was supposed to go to Paddington with him. Because I am not always a worthy object of faith to put all your trust in because I will let her down from time to time. But what if your object of faith never sins, never lies, is always perfect, always just, always reliable? What if that's the object of your faith? What's the result? Complete confidence. Absolute assurance. And really, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is. Hebrews 11, chapter 1, we're told that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. So faith is a confident assurance in what you cannot see. When God's timetable is different than yours because you have Jesus as the object of your faith or where your trust is at, it gives you a confident assurance that he is going to come through on his promises. Artaxerdia, a pastor, says this about the Christian faith. It is not simply believing in God, but believing God. See, faith is not doing something. Sometimes we think about faith like faith is when nothing makes sense, I'm going to step out in faith and just do something crazy and hope that everything else works out. Well, that's not biblical faith. That's called being foolish. Instead, what we do is we, faith is looking at the promises of God, being confident in the person of Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, knowing that he is going to do what he says he will do, and then we step out in full confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. You see, as Paul records, he says in 2 Corinthians, he says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. And who is that him? It's Jesus who fulfilled all God's promises in his first advent, and he will fulfill the rest in his second advent. And so what we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 1 is that faith in God, or faith that is a Christian faith is one that is secure in the things that God says. And that's the emphasis of this whole chapter. It says, the Lord visited Sarah. The Lord did what he would promised. And the writer of Hebrews then says, let us draw near with full assurance that faith brings. Faith. Confident assurance in the midst of pain as you wait on God and his perfect timing. His timing isn't our timing, but his timing is perfect. He's never in a hurry. He's never late. 
He's always right on time. Do you really have a confident assurance in Christ? Is your assurance in him the true object of your faith? I mean, really? Or when things come up in your life, do you do this? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Now, why was I really good at doing that? Because I've done it myself. I stand up here and say, have great faith in God. And yet when trials come, I say, what am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Do you want to increase your faith? How do you increase your faith? By going further in your relationship and getting to know the object of your faith. Instead of freaking out, go deeper in knowing God on a personal level. And as you get to know the object of your faith, your faith will be strengthened and your confidence in him will grow. And that's why it's so important and we stress so often that you need to be in the word of God for yourself. You need to be soaking in and actually seeing what God's promises are, what, they are, what ones were made to us. See, some of us think the promises of God are just things that we hope for. God, therefore, has to, owes this to me. He's promised me prosperity. No, he hasn't. But he has promised you actually trials and tribulations. But in the midst of it, he's going to give you the faith and endurance to walk through those things. So God never fulfills a promise that he didn't make. So we need to be in God's word. And as we do so, he will bring us closer to himself in relationship and he will strengthen our faith because he's the author and the one who gives us faith. So draw near to him. Trust his timing and trust his promises. Verse three, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised him his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, would have said to, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. God does what he says he will do. Turning tears into laughter. Turning tears into laughter. Now, can you imagine the excitement in this tent village? They first hear about uh, that Sarah is pregnant. She begins to show, and all the ladies are coming up, and there's just something about that pregnant belly that the ladies are just drawn to, right? And they're rubbing it, and they're touching it. It's always that one dude that wants to touch it, too, and you don't know what to do with that. Right? But they're excited, they're, and then the, the day finally comes, and they're all waiting outside the tent, waiting for that first cry from Isaac, and they hear it, and they are overwhelmed with tears of joy, and Abraham comes out, and he holds up his son, and he says, I have a son from my wife, Sarah, and everybody's cheering. They're going crazy. They bring the stork they cut out, they put it in front of his tent, and they say, Isaac, born 20 cubits long, and all these different things, and everyone's rejoicing, and they're eating blue cupcakes, and there's blue balloons everywhere. This is an exciting time. God has come through. I mean, she's 90 years old. He's 100, and she gives birth to a son. Now, Isaac, his name means 
he laughs. R. Kent Hughes tells us correctly that in naming the son Isaac, God is saying, I get the last laugh. Now, can you imagine Abraham is laying in bed with Sarah, and Sarah is woken to some chuckling from Abraham? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just laughing, and Sarah wakes up and says, what are you doing? Shh, you're going to wake the baby. And he's like, that's what I'm laughing about. Says, How old are you? She's like, I'm 90. And she goes, How old am I? You're 100. They're both like, <laughs> God is good. Oh, they're laughing together. Shh, don't wake the baby up. This is a glorious laughter. But why is this laughter so special? Because of everything that came before it. Because of all the heartache that preceded the laughter, all the hardship, all the discouragement, and then they see it finally come. God had come through. Have you ever laughed like that before? The greatest heartache of your life, and then you see God work things out in his way, and the laughter that follows through, it, through with it. Jesus, is, Jesus promises you, he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, that doesn't make the hardship or the tears more enjoyable. It doesn't make them like we enjoy them or that we would choose to go through them again or, or what we're going through right now. But we are left with the hope that our tears and our trials and struggles are for our good. Do you believe that this morning? Those of you who are in the midst of pain right now, do you believe that what God is taking you through is for your good? The psalmist says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Tears come so that we learn God's ways. You see, we all long for prosperity, don't we? We all long for prosperity, but we grow the most through adversity. We all long for prosperity, but we grow the most through adversity. My wife and I were looking back through an old journal that she had of our first couple of years of marriage, and we were laughing about what God had brought us through. Our paychecks were so small that Wendy's felt like 801 Chop House. We were making hardly anything. And just before that, we had lost a child to miscarriage. And then we had no money and we were pregnant again. And we were laughing about how crazy it was, that time was, and what God had brought us through, giving great joy to God for what he had accomplished during that time. And man, we grew so much during that time. It was for our good. I think about my first two years at Sailorville. Man, they were terrible. The kids, the students I was working with were awful. Every one of them. <laughs> and I, there was times that I would sit there and go, what am I doing here? Why did you bring me back to Iowa, God, for this? Yeah, God was working in my heart. He was breaking down areas of pride. Now I look back and I laugh with great joy that the, one of the guys that gave me the worst trouble is now an intern at Sailorville Church. <laughs> Curtis Johnson. <laughs> no, not Curtis See, none of these things were fun. 
I don't want to do them again, but I grew the most and I see how God's provided and his provision through it all. So maybe you're here this morning and you're a student and you're bullied at school. Maybe your grades aren't where they want to be and the pressure that comes with that and you wonder, how am I gonna do on my ACT? Maybe you're here and you're a parent and your, your child is just disobedient and you never can seem to get a break. Maybe you're older and you have a wayward son or daughter. Maybe you have financial stress. Maybe a job that you hate or, not, or no job at all. Maybe you have experienced a miscarriage. Maybe you're, you're lonely. Take heart from God that your tears will turn to joy in his timing. Even for me, the events of this last year in my life have been very hard. As God has been working in my life and pruning me, it's been very difficult. And I'm not even really at a spot to, to talk about it to the masses yet, but I've talked about it with my cell group, those closest to me, the staff. And I'm at the point now where I'm ready to laugh about it with joy. But I know and I have confident assurance that one day that is coming. And I'm going to see God's provision through the whole thing and his plan for me. Now let me encourage you. Celebrate God's goodness when he works in your life. Sometimes we have this reverse pride, and I struggle with this sometimes, that when God is good in our lives, we downplay it, right? Someone comes up and says, man, God has been so good to you. You go, yes, amen, brother, sister. God has been good, but I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where they can find bread. So send I you to labor unrewarded, brother, sister. Stop it! Knock it off! Let your joy show. You know, it's okay for you to have fulfillment from God in this life if he allows it. And that's what he says. He says, I've come to bring you life and to bring you life abundantly. So when God works in your life, tell others about it. Share testimonies about what God is doing and let your joy show because God has given you that joy. God does what he says he will do by keeping his promises in his timing, by replacing our tears with laughter. And finally, God does what he says he will do despite our lack of faith. God makes the promise in chapter 12 to Abraham that he was going to make a great nation of him, that, all, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And God makes him that promise before Abraham ever has the ability to exercise faith. So what's he showing? That the promise is because of God's goodness. That's why God makes the promise. It's not determined by Abraham's faithfulness, but upon God's faithfulness. And God doesn't take the promises back when they screw up. Remember Hagar? Remember Ishmael that came as a result, taking matters in their own hands? God remains faithful. Remember just last week we saw that Abraham lied for a second time, saying that his wife was his sister? God remains faithful. He doesn't take away the promise. And then in chapter 18, we see that so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, this is hearing that she's going to have a son 
Will not I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. She laughs at God's promise and yet God doesn't take it away. He remains faithful to his promise. But God would get the last laugh, naming that son Isaac. And every time that Sarah would look down at the face of her son, she'd be reminded that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And she would laugh. Even when she didn't believe, her laugh would now be a laugh of belief because of what God has done. Now, I would imagine that Sarah wishes she could go back to that moment when she was inside the tent, hearing the Lord himself talking. Probably wishes that she, when she heard that promise, she could have ripped that tent open and walked out and go, I believe every word that you say. But she didn't. And there are times in our lives that we wish we could go back and change our past, but we can't. God remains faithful to you anyway. And he brings his promises about in your life. It's a good reminder to us that Abraham and Sarah are not the heroes. Oh yes, they did great faith. There's people throughout all the Bible that showed great faith, that were very heroic, but the Bible isn't about them and what they're doing. It's about what God is doing. And it's a reminder to us that God is the hero and not human beings. Yes, good people to look after, but God is the one that we pursue, the one that we love, because he's the promise maker. And this promise extends way beyond that of Isaac. Remember, he said, all the nations that will be blessed through you. So Isaac would have a son. He would then have a bunch of sons, and people would have more sons and daughters, and so on and so forth through thousands of years until finally, when the fullness of time had come, through Abraham's line, Born unlike Abraham, sinless. Born unlike Abraham as a virgin. God, from a virgin, God sent forth his son to be the savior of Abraham and to be the savior of all who would believe. In his perfect timing, he did this. God would bring about this promise that everyone would be blessed because through Abraham, the savior of the world would come. And Jesus would live and die for sinners, just like you, just like me, so that we could be children of Abraham, children of promise, and better than that, children of God, heirs with Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't believe the things that I've said today. Perhaps like Sarah, you you scoff at these things or you're still trying to figure them out. Your belief doesn't make these promises untrue. So we're calling you to belief. To know God, you you don't make promises to God. You trust the promises that he's already made. And we're not calling you to a faith that is unreasonable, a blind faith that has no evidence. Some of us, when we think about Christianity, it's I just give up all reason to follow God. No. You will find, if you search the scriptures, you dialogue with us, 
reasonable reason to believe that Jesus Christ is everything that he says he is, that his word is truth, that he is the one true Lord and the Savior of all peoples. So we would encourage you, if you have questions, we're so glad that you're here. We want to talk with you, and we want to show you that Jesus is Lord. And if you're ready, you're ready now to trust his promise, trust this promise from Jesus Christ. This promise is that Jesus himself said, all who come to me, I will never cast out. Because Jesus was cast out for you so that you wouldn't have to be. He was cast out on the cross when he died in your place and mine. The father who he had a relationship all throughout all of eternity turned his back on him because he bore our sins upon his body so that we could never have to be cast out if we believe in him through faith. And you sit there and wonder, could this be? Could this really be true? Is there a God that loves me this way? With all my screw-ups, all the times I've messed up, all my failures, and you're even probably wondering if some of you have already believed, yes, the promise is not dependent upon you, but upon Jesus. And if you've never believed, God will do what he says he will do. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Let's stand. Let's sing together.